to the darkest hour. I'm your host, Amanda Jane. Often, the stories you hear on this channel are for the first time a chance for others to share what really happened without fear of ridicule. Sadly, in the real world, a lot of these stories and experiences are kept hidden away, growing subjective truth in a garden of doubt. The flowers of thought wilt from isolation and grow thorns of resentment when no one is there to clip their stems. You, the listener, are a candle in the dark for these writers, a chance to not feel so alone with their experiences, or maybe you with yours. Tonight's episode is packed with stories that would give even the most skeptical of minds great pause. How skeptical are you? And what would it take to make you a believer? You can answer in the comments later, absolutely. But I recommend listening to these stories first. So, let's get started, shall we? This is going to be a long read, so please bear with me. All of this took place from around 2017 and 2018. There are four main people. Myself, my name's Sarah, Olivia, Megan, and Elizabeth. Elizabeth didn't get involved until later in the story. We'll call the two spirits blue and red for reasons that I feel fit them well. And we always knew that it was the same two entities through consistencies with mannerisms and knowledge from previous sessions. A quick bit of information on blue and red. These are paired spirits. I know that they died together. However, I've been asked not to share much more than that. There was a time once when I did. I ended up facing a bunch of bad luck. Just know that these are paired spirits. You barely ever get one without the other being there too. Red was a very strong entity, and you could always tell because whenever they were around, their energy was so strong that you could feel a lot of pressure on your chest and shoulders. I even remember my ears ringing at some point. Blue was a weaker entity because there was a noticeable difference in the amount of pressure in your chest and shoulders. Both of them together could be suffocating. Anyways, it was around 11 p.m. or so on one evening. If I remember correctly, I was on a Skype call with Megan and Olivia, two of my closest internet friends at the time. We were just chatting about random things until one of us, I believe it might have been Megan, decided that we should try a Ouija board. I was skeptical at first because I hadn't heard about anything good happening from using one of those. To be completely honest, I was a bit of a scaredy cat, and I opted out of being part of the first session. Olivia and Megan did it without me, and later, they went on and on about how they couldn't believe it actually worked. I became a lot more intrigued, 
so I decided that I would join them for the next session. The next session occurred the next day, and I was giddy with excitement and anxiety. Olivia pulls out the board over our Skype call, and we begin. Of course, I wanted to ask all the obvious questions like how they died or what their life was like. These entities, especially Red, were very talkative. Red would be the spokesperson, if you will, if both entities were present, and the planchette would always move considerably fast. However, if we asked any questions about their lives or death, the planchette would either move incredibly slow or not at all. They were super willing to discuss anything else, though, such as music. It almost felt as if we, a couple of teenagers at the time, were talking to two other teenagers. The paranormal experiences we had were the stereotypical ones that most people might have with a Ouija board. However, these experiences would occur even when we weren't having a session. It would include objects falling off the shelves, items disappearing and reappearing somewhere else, footsteps, tapping, knocking, door handles jiggling, electronics turning off randomly, etc. I'd also had other experiences in the beginning, too, that almost felt like these entities were pulling pranks on me. There was one time I needed to straighten my hair, so I turned my straightener on. I walked away for about a minute, came back, and it was off. I turned it back on again, went to use the restroom, and it was off again when I came back. I've also had this experience when a brand new charger of mine disappeared from its spot for a few days. I tore the house apart looking for it. Well, a few days later, I found the charger in a different spot than where I know I'd left it. Except when I found it, the wires were exposed. It looked like one had been either removed or cut. Of course, the charger no longer worked. A third experience I had occurred when I noticed all of my brand new razors began to be dulled. I had bought a pack of five or something, and the blade had been so dulled that you could barely see the blade at all. No matter how hard I pressed, the razor wouldn't even begin to get rid of the hair growing back on my legs. This happened with about five or so razors. I actually still have them because I wanted to keep them as proof or something anyway over time the paranormal experiences began to escalate we started seeing the same ghostly figures however they didn't like to let you look for long blue was the taller of the two anytime they appeared they'd be well over six feet tall they had a head but they had no face Red was the same way. No face, except they were shorter, appearing under six feet. Megan and Olivia and I would also dream about them in similar ways. They wouldn't have a face in our dreams either. Just a regular person, without any features. Most of the dreams I experienced weren't too crazy, except for one. I can remember four dreams specifically. 
One was just blue and red and I drinking in a park or something. Another was blue and I sitting at a table in a dimly lit room, talking. And it ended with blue giving me a hug. The third occurred just after my dog passed away. I had a dream with blue. And I was just talking about my dog, showing them pictures as they comforted me. Then, the fourth dream. It was the most confusing. I was in a school, and I was hiding under a desk. I had a gun, and they just stood there, watching me, very intently. I don't remember much else, though, because that might have been the point when I woke up. It also intensified in a way that none of us really knew how to react. Megan was joking around with Olivia and called her a hoe. It wasn't serious at all, but Red took it as a serious matter anyways and spent the entire next day messing with Megan in a mean way. She had her car door closed on her. Her milkshake exploded in her face like someone had squeezed the cup really hard. Anyway, this is when Elizabeth starts to get involved because Megan tells her about the experiences. Megan and Elizabeth know each other in person, and Megan would often talk to Elizabeth because they had been best friends for a long time. Megan had been feeling excluded during the sessions, and Elizabeth was feeling skeptical of everything. This led to an argument, and I remember Blue stating word for word... It's like talking to a brick wall when referencing the argument with Megan. This argument led to Megan not really participating much anymore with Olivia and I. However, she and Elizabeth started doing their own sessions privately without Olivia and I knowing until later on. Olivia and I continued doing the board together. The group got to a point where we were sort of paired Blue would hang around with me more, and Red would hang around with Olivia more. I remember two times when I was at school, I was bored. I was in English class one day, and I felt Blue near me because of the pressure on my shoulders. I grabbed a sheet of paper and I wrote that I was bored. And I said that Blue should do something to scare everyone. Well, sure enough... When we were all standing at the back of the classroom, ten or so minutes later, a laptop at the front of the room was shoved across the desk on its own. Then there was another time when myself and some others were sitting in the auditorium. I did the same thing. I grabbed a piece of paper, said I was bored, and told Blue that they should do something to try to scare everyone. Not long after... There was a loud banging coming from the back wall of the auditorium. It was so loud it sounded like fireworks. Nobody could have been doing it from the other side either, because the other side was a brick wall. I'll go over a few other experiences that stand out to me, even four years later. Some guys were bothering me in the hallway at school. It was just us because classes were still going on. All of a sudden, I felt Blue's energy, and this was followed by a really loud banging on the lockers. Everyone was confused, and the boys, 
they decided to go back to class because the experience was so strange to them. Once I was left alone in the hallway, the banging stopped. Then, there were a few times when I was in the art room. I'd get this intense pins and needles feelings on my arm and wrist, followed by the smell of floral perfume. I was confused the first time it happened, and I wondered, where was it coming from? Until Olivia mentioned some perfume that she had. I asked her what it smelled like, and then smelled my wrist again. And that's when the dots connected. This entity had, for some reason, put Olivia's perfume on my wrist. This only happened whenever I was anxious in class. Anyways, this continued for a while. However, Olivia and I both going through a lot individually because neither of us had great childhoods or an easy time at school. This is when we started to grow apart because it was affecting our relationship. I'm not entirely sure how this conversation came up. I think Elizabeth had messaged me to warn Olivia and I not to do the board anymore. I was confused and I started asking her all these questions about what's going on. This is when she told me that her and Megan had continued using the board on their own. And these are what I remember to be the correct order of events that happened during Megan and Elizabeth's session. A female spirit, blue and red, were contacted. So three spirits. I believe the female spirit was contacted first. The female spirit admitted to being evil. And she said to stay away from blue and red. The female admitted to wanting Megan, Elizabeth, and myself out. She even admitted to trying to scare me away. We believe she may have stopped or may have been made to stop by blue and red. We still have unanswered questions about this female spirit. However, blue and red didn't share anything about this female spirit being around in our session previously. After the female spirit, Megan and Elizabeth were able to get through to blue and red Megan and Elizabeth tried asking about the female spirit. However, neither would give up any information. Blue and Red just told them to stay away from her. The female spirit came through again and said the same about Blue and Red to stay away from them. Blue and Red came back through. Red wouldn't admit to anything. And Blue stated that they never wanted us to know about the female spirit. Neither were showing any aggression at this point. Then, Elizabeth explains how Blue's behavior changed. They wanted emotion and even started flirting, making sexual comments, saying that they loved Elizabeth. Elizabeth gently rejected them, and Blue seemed hurt. This is when I became skeptical that it was the same spirit at all. However, it really was Blue. They were giving information about myself that nobody else would have known, and this was without Megan and Elizabeth asking for it. Blue proved to be who they were more by giving very extensive, consistent information about themselves. 
They also acted anxious, depressed, shy, and quiet, like normal. Their most common sentence during the session was, Love me. They didn't get read a ton at first, from what they believe. But whenever they did, Blue would hardly speak afterwards, if at all. Red is a strong entity, much stronger than Blue. It was this session that made that obvious. What was also made more obvious was how territorial they were. Red told Elizabeth that she didn't like her for the first few months of her being involved because she was too skeptical of them. She'd wanted to profile them and get information. At this point, Elizabeth tells me this. Red loves to play, and so does Blue. It's not a game that you can mutually play because you don't know the rules. You don't even know the game. This is when things really ramped up quickly. Elizabeth was consumed with an overwhelming amount of anger. She threw the planchette across the room, and nothing but purely hateful things just started spilling out of her mouth. She didn't even remember what she had said. And I wasn't there to be able to say either. That's when Blue came through again and kept saying, Love me. Elizabeth snapped at them like she'd never snapped before, saying that she didn't love them, that she could never love anybody. She said some other things, but I was never told what. Elizabeth was consumed by anger once again, and she said it was so intense that there was this white noise in her ears. And that's when the board said this over and over again. You're just like me. You're just like me. You're just like me. Elizabeth called for blue, but the board spelled Red's name, or their nickname, from when they were alive. At this point, Elizabeth was crying and denying it, but she was still filled with so much anger. And then Megan started to be filled with a sadness and depression that she'd never felt in her life. And she struggled to calm down. Then the board said, You try to figure me out because you're scared. Remember, Elizabeth was skeptical and wanted information. By the time the board finishes spelling this out, Elizabeth became aware that she had been saying, I'm just like them. I'm just like them. I'm just like them. Over and over again. The board spelled, You're gonna break. As Elizabeth kept repeating the same sentence over and over again, Megan began to get angry at this point. This is the last time I remember or have the conversation, but I do remember Olivia and I not believing what they told us about that experience. I don't know why, but we continued to do the board, but not for very long. We continued growing apart before finally deciding that it was no longer healthy for us to be friends. We haven't done the board in a long time. However, I still feel them around, and I know that they're there. In fact, I've had to move locations completely 
while writing this because the energy has been so strong. I can even feel their breath on my arms as I write. In 2017, I went on holiday to Samoa with my family and my girlfriend. We were staying at my auntie's house, which is a combination of a Samoan fale and a normal house. Anyways, late one morning, around two or three, my girlfriend woke me up to take her to the bathroom. The toilet was down a long hallway around the corner from my room. At the end of the hallway on the left was a toilet room. On the back wall of the hallway was the wash sink. And then on the right side of the wall, a mirror. What made this hallway even more creepy was the white light above the sink. So I'm waiting outside the door while my girlfriend is in the bathroom. She finishes and then goes back to the room. I go in, do my business, come back into the hallway to wash my hands at the sink. While I'm washing, I look to my right and I glance into the mirror. As I turn around to walk back down the hallway, about five feet in front of me is a lady. I only managed to see her for a split second before she disappeared, but I swear the image of her is still stuck in my head. This lady was wearing a white sleeping gown. She had pale arms and legs, frizzy black hair, that covered her face. I jolted up and I banged my hand against the wall. Goosebumps ran all over my body and my heart was pounding. I knew I had to walk through the place that she was just standing. So quickly, I dashed back to my room. Being back in my room, I've never jumped into the sheets so quickly. My girlfriend asked me what the banging sound was. I told her, I saw a ghost. I saw a ghost. My heart was thumping so hard and loud that she was actually concerned I was going to have a heart attack. And I'm a pretty healthy guy. She managed to calm me down, and she told me, it's just the heat. It wasn't real. For the next five minutes, I'm in bed trying to reclaim my thoughts if what I saw was real or just a figment of my imagination. Right after that episode, I see my mom and dad walk past my room, going towards the toilet. My dad looked like he had a nightmare or something. At the time, I didn't think anything of it. Until the next day. Bright and sunny morning, my family are all eating breakfast together at the table, and I tell them about the ghost I saw. All of my cousins, aunties, and uncles are all mocking me, saying, nah, you're just seeing things. Ghosts aren't real. All of that jazz. However, I noticed my dad wasn't saying anything. After breakfast, we're getting ready to head out for the day. My dad pulls me aside. He said, did you really see a ghost last night? And I said, yeah, why would I lie? To which my dad replied, I believe you. Confused, I asked him, why do you believe me? 
His reply shocked me to my core. Because, son, I saw three black shadows standing at the end of my bed. I was never a big believer in ghosts until this day. Sometimes I still contemplate if what I saw was real. Every now and again, I ask my dad if he actually did see a ghost or three ghosts, just to make sure I'm not crazy. I had this story on my mind a lot. I just wanted to get it out there. But if there's questions, I'll try to answer them the best I can. Cheers. When I turned 18, me and two of my friends decided to take a trip to our local casino. We mostly just played simple games like slots and video roulette since it was our first time going to the casino. After losing some money, we decided to search for something to eat. Pretty much everything was way too overpriced, so we wandered around for quite a bit. Eventually, we reached a hallway along the border of the main floor. We made our way down the hall looking for food, but everything was closed. We started to notice that the hall was completely vacant of people. As we wandered further down the hall, we reached an oddly intriguing small room through a double doorway. This was the only entrance into the room. It was completely empty except for us three and about 10 to 20 slot machines. We were bored, so... I decided to throw a $5 bill into the slot machine and spin it a few times. After my second or third spin, an odd-looking man, early to mid-thirties, appeared from behind the slot machine, seemingly out of thin air. He began watching me play and started getting uncomfortably close to us. We weren't worried since we outnumbered him three dudes to one, However, we were very confused. We grew more and more uneasy the longer he stood there, not saying a word. Eventually, my friend decided to ask him, what's up? The man looked at us for a second before asking if we were all brothers. None of us look even remotely similar, so we told him we're all just friends. And he said, oh, that's great and proceeded to ask if he could join our group. We told him that we had all come together and lied and saying that we were actually planning on leaving soon. He told us that we should stay and play with him. And he says, my good friend Rachel over there, she knows all the good machines. And he points towards the other side of the room. We slowly peer around the machine and all immediately became horrified. Nobody else was in the room with us. He was pointing into an empty corner. We all stand up from our seats and slowly back out of the room, not letting our eyes leave the man. Once he was out of sight, we turned around and sprinted down the hallway back to the main game room. We all vowed to never go back down that hallway ever again. And I never did, but... Curiosity eventually got the better of us.
About a year and too many casino trips later, we're playing blackjack back at the same casino with a fourth friend. He gets bored and hungry and says we should look for food. After walking around looking for food, we made it back to the entrance of that very hallway, the one we vowed never to return to. The fourth friend said that we should search down there for food. The rest of us tell him no and explain to him that we can't go back down there. He asks why, so we tell him our experience down that hallway one year prior. He said we're bullshitting and that there's no room of slot machines in the location that we described. He explains that his mom was a worker at the casino and he would know if there was some rogue room of slot machines in the middle of nowhere. So, we did the one thing that we could do to convince him of our experience. We decided to lead him to the room. We made our way down the hallway in search of the room, but after walking for a few minutes, we reached the end of the hall. Confused, we turned around and searched again, thinking somehow we missed it. No room. We came to the conclusion that they must have moved the machines out of the room since the casino changes things quite frequently, so people don't gain a sense of direction of the game floor. So we once again walked down the hallway in search of an empty room, or at least a set of closed doors that would enter the room. Nothing. No doors even remotely close to where we remember the room. We were completely dumbfounded. We started to question our sanity. All three of us remembered the room in the same location, yet there was nothing. There was no room with slot machines. There was no room at all. To this day, neither me nor my friends understand or can explain how this happened. Almost 20 years ago, I was in the midst of a divorce, and I'd been living with my parents for a few months. I managed to buy myself a cute two-bedroom Victorian house for me and my 13-year-old daughter, and eventually, moving day arrived. Over the five months I'd lived with my parents, I'd been buying new things for our home. Essentials, saucepans, crockery, towels, bed linens, etc., I didn't want anything from my ex, so everything I had, I bought new. When moving day came, I had the beds for me and my daughter coming from a furniture shop, and a washing machine, a fridge, a sofa. Everything else I got into my car and drove from my parents' house with boxes full of new pots and everything else. My mom was at the house unpacking and putting things away. The delivery driver put my bed upstairs, and my mom decided to put my bedding on for me. So she opened the new sheets and duvet cover and made my bed. As she was brushing her hands over the newly made bed, she found a sewing needle, which she pulled out of the bedding. She gave it to me and said that it must have been in the packaging from the factory, which we all agreed seemed feasible. The following weekend, I stripped my bed, washed it, 
and dried it outside on the washing line. I fetched it in the late afternoon, and I remade my bed. When I went to bed that night, I could feel something inside my pillowcase. I thought it was a small twig that had gotten caught in the washing whilst on the line near some shrubs. I put on the bedside lamp, and inside the pillowcase was another needle. I put it on the bedside cabinet and decided I'd worry about that tomorrow. The next day was Sunday, and as always, I went to my parents' house for lunch. I told them about finding a second needle in my bed. The following weekend, I was busy, as always. Ask anyone who works all week, and they seem to spend the weekend doing laundry, grocery shopping, and cleaning. I was no different. I'd cleaned downstairs and was heading upstairs to clean the bedrooms and bathroom. Now, on my stairs, there were these wood panels, wainscoting. It looked nice, and it hid the uneven plaster work. The top of the wainscoting was waist-high and was about an inch deep. Just wide enough to gather dust, so I wiped the wainscoting as I cleaned the downstairs. Then, when I did the upstairs, I came down with a duster in my hand and wiped it over again. After running up and down the stairs a few times, bringing laundry down, taking clean clothes up, emptying the bathroom bin, etc., I finally finished, but I'd wiped that wainscoting ledge every time I'd passed it. I guess I was just so proud of my own lovely little place. Anyway, final trip downstairs, I notice another sewing needle. Sitting on top of the wainscoting ledge, there was a needle. Now, this is getting decidedly weird. So I added it to the other two on my bedside table. The next morning, I look at the three needles and think, wait until I tell mom about this one. And I notice there's not three needles as there should be, but four. Weirder and weirder. Several years later, my daughter was by then an adult with a baby of her own and I was moving across country, so I sold my darling house and obviously packed up. In a cupboard, by the back door there was a broiler, and I kept a few folding garden chairs and some old curtains in there. I pulled out the curtains, and I saw for the first time ever a tin, like a biscuit tin or a quality street chocolate tin, and inside there was some unfinished embroidery, and suddenly, all the needles made sense. So, I pack the tin with the unfinished embroidery, and decide I'll make it my job to finish it. But I never did finish it, as when I unpacked my house, the tin had vanished. Maybe it isn't the creepiest of stories, but every word here is exactly how it happened. I never felt creeped out or spooked in my house, though. I hope you enjoy my needle ghost story. This summer, I had the opportunity to intern for a little record studio in town. I'm currently going to art school for sound design. 
this internship, it's a really good way for me to get some experience under my belt, actually working in a studio, hands-on. I've been able to work nights with my mentor. His name is John. He's been working in the record business since the late 70s. Really great guy. My first project was assisting with a local metal band. They were recording a three-song EP. Drum tracks go first. And the next night, we have the rhythm guitarist and the bass player lay down their licks. Bass goes first, then rhythm. Rhythm guitarist's name is Ace. And I guess this story's really about him. Anyway... They're both proficient when hitting these tracks, and we wrap up the night early. When they're all done loading their gear back into their cars, we all listen to the playthroughs and put them on the big speakers. It all sounds fat, and so they dip out. John and I now get down to the panning and mixing of these tracks. He goes back and forth between headphone listens and speaker listens while I slowly break down the mics and roll up the chords. All while he's trying to explain to me what he's doing on Pro Tools. We go through bass fast, and he decides to sit me in front of the big screen monitors and mix one of the rhythm guitar tracks. I put on my headphones, and he watches over my shoulders. I try to emulate what I saw him doing earlier. As I dialed in the EQ, I began to hear something in the higher frequencies that I couldn't seem to cut out of the mix. John's sitting right behind me, so I take off my headphones and I ask him what he thinks it is. He puts them on, and as I play the clip back, I see him get a confused look on his face, too. We play it on the big speakers, and the sound is still audible over the raw guitar track. The sound isn't a fuzz or a reverb issue, although that's how I originally tried to troubleshoot the issue. But replaying the track with the effects muted, it yielded the same results. A woman's voice in a thick Spanish accent saying, Alexander. You can only hear it clearly in one of the guitar's chugging patterns, but that's obviously enough to make the track unusable. We mic up the amp in a small soundproof room next to where the guitarist lays down takes. I don't think I have to say this, but I will, just in case anyone asks if there was a woman standing next to the microphone in the amp booth. There wasn't. And no amount of fucking with the mix could cut it. Next day, the lead guitarist shows up and we start recording. The rest of the band shows up later through the night, and John tells the rhythm guitarist that he's going to need him to redo a couple of takes. A couple of jokes are thrown his way amongst the band members, but John sits everyone down and has them listen to the weird sound in the take we recorded last night. We play the clip, and all except the rhythm guitarist and drummer are joking about the strange voice in the audio. The drummer says, That sounded like Cassidy, homie. The other members get quiet, and from my position in the back... I can see the rhythm guitarist's eyes start to tear up before he says, I'll be right back, and exits the studio. The drummer follows after him, and it's just the other members, John and I, sitting in the quiet studio, as if Ace took the air with him on his departure. We all just sit there until John goes, So, who's Cassidy? 
Lead singer tells us that Cassidy was Ace's wife and that his real name is Alexander. She died of a brain tumor a couple of years ago when they lived in Houston. Really sad shit. Drummer comes in and gathers his and Ace's stuff and says that they're going to head out. The rest of the band all filter out and then it's just John and I sitting in the studio. I almost asked him if he could play the clip for me one more time so I could record it on my phone the best I could, but I chickened out. I thought it would be weird if he wasn't down for that, so... I guess no one has to hear a man's deceased wife to know that I did, so I just let it be. I went back to the studio a few times after that this summer. Nothing crazy happened. Different artists filtered through, but their tracks were fine. So... I'm inclined to think that it's what people would call an EVP. And in that case, rest in peace, Ace's wife, Cassidy. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Just like that, we've reached the end of tonight's episode. But be sure to join me every Friday night for a brand new one. And don't miss my other weekly uploads, Sunday and Wednesday. I want to thank those who shared their stories, and a big thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget to like this video, subscribe to The Darkest Hour, and tap the bell so you never miss a thing. I sure do appreciate all of it, and I can't thank you enough. Huge shout out to all of my patrons for their unwavering support. Misanthropia, Shane Q, Monica L, The Dark Cosmos, Zoe Watt, Shelly B, Donald C, Rat Girl, Alicia S, Aaron G, and The Darkest Hour's two newest patrons. Stephen S. and Nikki H. Welcome to the Scaredy Cat family. If you want to support The Darkest Hour in other ways, consider joining my Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash thedarkesthour or click the link in the description to learn more. Keep up with me and all things Darkest Hour over on my Instagram at thedarkesthourYT and follow me on Twitter at Amanda Jane, T-D-H. Do you have stories like these? I'd love to share them. Send them to me, Amanda, darkesthour, at gmail.com, or on the Darkest Hour subreddit, The Darkest Hour, YT. Stay spooky. <laughs>